think of the bigger picture. Don't get bogged down in the minutia and in the small individual sales. Look at the sales over the longer period of time. Hey, my name is Felix T. I'm the host of Shopify Masters, a weekly podcast powered by Shopify, the easiest way to sell online, in person, and anywhere in between. Each week, we invite entrepreneurs like you to share what they've learned growing successful e-commerce businesses. In this episode, you'll learn what was the metric that led them to 600% growth, why content marketing and SEO are still worth it, even though they take longer to see results, and the emails that they sent to turn customers into repeat buyers. Today, I'm joined by Danielle Vincent from Outlaw Soaps. Outlaw Soaps creates evocative scents designed to remind people of themselves at their best. It was started in 2013 and based out of Grass Valley, California. Welcome, Danielle. Thank you so much for having me, Felix. Yeah, so you started this business with your husband because you wanted a daily reminder of something. What was that and what, I guess, drove you to start the business? Sure. Um, well, we started the business. I was working at a desk job. I was getting to work before dawn and I was leaving after dark and it was entertainment. So it was a desk job and I was just exhausted all the time. And on our honeymoon, we picked up this bar of handmade soap and I smelled it. And every morning I would take a shower with it. I would smell it. I would set it down And eventually one day I looked at the package after having like a month of sniffing this soap, thinking about our wonderful honeymoon. And I realized that it was pretty simple ingredients. And so I thought, well, if this reminds me of my honeymoon, what other things do I want to be reminded of? And so we started creating scents that reminded us of our favorite things like camping and, uh, you know, leather, gunpowder, you know, sagebrush and campfire and whiskey and stuff like that. So that was really the the start of this whole idea. Makes sense. So this this um leap between you buying this, you know, bar of soap and you recognizing that, oh, there are other things that I would love to use as well, to you creating these, were you creating them for yourself or you were you would you put on this hat, like this kind of business hat right from the beginning to recognize that there's opportunity for you to start a business focusing on this? You know, I started looking around to see if there was other things that would meet that need for me. And after finding that, you know, there's some candles and stuff like that, but nothing really in the personal care and how powerful scent is. And I started chatting with my friends about it and actually my coworkers. Um, I used to work at the Oprah Winfrey Network. So I would be talking to my coworkers about how this idea and they were so enthusiastic. Um, and as I talked to people, more and more people were like, yes, if you make that, I will buy it. And that was, that was really the thing that kind of, I admit, I initially thought it was just going to be friends of mine, but we were featured on some pretty popular blogs very early. And so we knew we had kind of, uh, I guess, lightning in a bottle as in a way. Makes sense. Okay. So you were going out and telling people about this idea that you had friends that, that the people in your network and they were all saying or super excited about it, saying that they would certainly be a, a customer of yours. Was there any other kind of validation that you did above this or was that enough for you to to start investing your time and, and money into this business? I don't know how to explain it other than that I was just a hundred percent certain that this was something that was needed in the world. And I know that that's uh the common refrain of many entrepreneurs. Um, but I didn't really have any other market validation other than just, I couldn't find what it was. It didn't even occur to me that who would really want this stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, and it just seemed like so obvious 
to me that right. that everybody needed it. You know. Yeah, I think I think that's um is certainly a a path towards finding a product, finding a business is something that's so clear to you. Which I think is just about the, this 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 uh, trait of having a vision, right? That it's so clear to you that this thing should exist in the world. Why doesn't it? And you know, as an entrepreneur that that is that is ambitious, why not you be the one that that takes it to the market? So you, so what was that that next step then? So you recognized that you wanted to create this, you want to bring it to the world. You heard from other people that were interested in it. What was the next step to to create this? Because like you said, there was nothing else out there. So there was probably no roadmap to follow to create this, right? Well, since it's a handmade soap company, that was really where we started. We started with making handmade soap. And that is a very well-documented, massive industry. There's like handmade soap conventions and there's YouTube videos. And we taught ourselves how to make soap using YouTube videos and uh, online, joining communities, um, start, you know, joining Indie Business Network and the Handcrafted Soapmakers Guild and all of these things. We really just immersed ourselves, uh, of course, in my ample spare time from my very demanding uh, <laughs> uh, entertainment job. It was quite, you know, a lot of late evenings and early early mornings on the weekends and a lot of people coming over saying, how come you never come out anymore? Um, but we knew what, we knew we wanted to do this. And so we did teach ourselves how to make handmade soap. And, and like I said, that's, that's just an incredibly well-documented process. And we were very lucky to have a whole roadmap out there for us. Mm. So from the time that you started being getting serious about it and looking up how to do this, how long did it take before you had a, a version of it that you were ready to start trying to sell? About three months. Um, we well, actually really two months because it took us two months to learn how to make soap. And then soap takes a month to cure. So by the time we had the batch that we wanted to sell, it was like it was like two months. Um, and we came up with the name before we even had tried to make soap. We were so convinced that this had to happen, um, that even if we didn't understand how to make soap right away, we knew we had the faith that we could learn to do it. So I look back and I think that was so crazy. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, I think you, you said that you're so convinced that it had to happen that you repeated this a couple of times. Cause I bet you're, you're thinking to yourself like, wow, if you were, if you, you were kind of delirious, but in a way that led to your success. So do you think that when you, when you kind of look back on this, do you, do you remember any times where, I think there's a, there's a honeymoon phase where any entrepreneur goes through where they have an <laughs> yeah. idea, they're super passionate about it. Was there ever a point along the way before you started seeing this traction, this success where you guys kind of question it? Are there, you know, anybody on the early team, like question, like, eh, maybe this is not the right thing to do. Oh my gosh. For five years. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Like it's been a very, very weird road. And for five years, I really felt like maybe this isn't the idea that I thought it was. I mean, we'd get like super amazing traction by being featured in like a major publication or Uncrate or Cowboys and Indians magazine or on the front page of Yahoo. And then we would go dry months where we'd may maybe make like a thousand dollars in a month. And, and it was really, you know, the whole, especially for the first year, we had almost no strangers placing an order. It was always like, oh, sure. I know generally, you know, <laughs> And, and so it was absolutely so difficult and there were glimmers of traction, 
But until the last seven months, I would say that those glimmers of traction were, were, were glimmers, not like a shining ray of sun. Um, and then it was only in the last six or seven months that it's become really apparent that we do have something that we, something that has a lot of traction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely want to talk about that in a second. So before we get there, where did the first sales come from? Once you had that product that was ready to go uh, out for, for sale, where where were you getting the, the customers uh, to come in and check out the product to begin with? It was all friends. It, it, and, and I really am so grateful for our friends who supported us through, the, through all of this. It's just been pretty amazing. Um, they all rallied together and bought us out of all of our inventory. Our first... Uh, batch of soap uh our most popular soap was called unicorn poop we don't have that anymore but we did and it sold out in two hours after we put it on the website so it was pretty amazing we only had like 30 bars though so we started incredibly small and it was really entirely our friends uh, buying it Mm-hmm. So when you were going through this phase where things weren't progressing as quickly as you would like, what were you guys telling? What were you telling yourself? What were, what were you telling each other to 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 stick it out? Especially, you know, five years is a long time where you are constantly <laughs> questioning yourself. How do you answer those questions? You know, I think there was probably fifty percent uh, just stubbornness and fifty percent insanity. Um, it just it really was just sometimes just waking up in the morning and plodding along through it. And um, I actually wrote a blog post in the early days that there's no, there's no difference between flying and falling until the end because I was so not sure whether we were doing the right thing, you know? (laughs) And it just, I look back on that and I'm like, Oh my gosh, I feel, I wish I could just pet myself on the head and say, look, it's going to be okay. Um, And that's when I have my dark days now I think, okay, if I was to tell myself three years ago what was happening today, I would I would not believe our good fortune. So even today's bad day is better than our good days, you know, three years, just three years ago. And I try to remember to tell myself now in three years, today's bad day is going to be, you know, or today's day, good day is going to be the worst day in three years. So you know, it's all keeping a perspective and trying to just be stubborn. Just be yeah. stubborn. Uh, so, so going going along with that, so you said that if you were to go back, you know, three years ago mm-hmm. and you could kind of comfort yourself and say, hey, you know, things are going to get better. Would you be able to point yourself to any, uh, you know, the, day, the the you today going back to, to you three years ago, would you be able to point yourself to any signs that you say, hey, look, see, here is evidence or here are the kind of seedlings that that are going to lead to more success three years later or, you know, further down the road? Yeah, I think one of the things that people kept repeating over and over again and you know, my business, I have a business coach now. And she said, how many times do people have to tell you this before you actually hear it? And the thing that they kept repeating was, I'm so glad I found you. Now that I know that you exist, I'm never using anything else. I mean, and that when you think about a stranger saying that about your product, that is like, that's really gold. And talking to those people, the thing that I really learned was that our customers will always have great advice for us. They'll just tell us what they want. And so the more we listen to our customers saying things like, now that I know you exist, I'm never using anything else. That is a real business validation. 
you know, and I wish I had listened to that with my heart uh, a little bit more in the early days. It was, you know, it was hard. Yeah, I think that that that's certainly that's definitely important because you're you're kind of talking about like celebrating these small wins that will fuel you to keep going. Uh, how did you how you look how you look at it differently today? Because I think I think it's also talking a lot about kind of gratitude, right? Just being grateful about how far you've come. Again, just even if you don't you know believe in the power of gratitude or anything like that, it's just just to give yourself fuel, just to stick in the game, stay stay around longer, so you can survive. You know the down the kind of the the down days, down years, down months. <laughs> to, to last for the the upswings like you are in now nowadays yeah. how do you try to be more to, to take it more to heart like these kind of small wins especially the messages that are coming from your customers yeah well if you think about it the customers are really telling you what you need to do or telling us what we needed to do we needed to get more exposure the key words there were now that i've found you they couldn't find us. Nobody could find us. And so now we really regard our problem, our business problem, as one of people just don't know we exist to be dedicated to us forever. And that's like a really interesting uh, problem because it's an incredibly solvable problem. There's like unlimited numbers of ways to get exposure, including being on this podcast, including search engine optimization, Facebook ads, you know, uh, referral affiliate programs, that kind of things. There's so many ways to get exposure. And, and the problem of obscurity was really what our customers were telling us we had was just, they didn't know about us. And that's, that's so, so solvable. So when I think about our problems now, and I think about what what we need to solve, uh, you know, something that our customers say a lot now is, um, I wish that shipping wasn't so expensive. And I also, you're, you're out of stock of everything I want. And these are great problems to have, but they're still problems. And so, you know, we're working on solving those, but we've learned that our customers really tell us uh, what direction we need to look to build the business. That, that's a great point. You know, when you first told me that the feedback that your customers gave you, I kind of, I didn't read between the lines either about what yeah. was it that they were saying. And it's really important now that, that you, you bring that up that you, it's not just uh, kind of empty like platitudes where someone's like saying, oh, you know, great, great company, great products, whatever. It's like, what are they, what, what are they, where, where are they, what's their intention behind what they're saying? Maybe not, maybe not. Uh, I guess directly or purposefully, what's their intention? But like, what are they feeling? What are they signaling to you by saying these these things? And it's it, even though it might sound like a compliment, there are kind of opportunities in these messages that they're giving you. These almost like gaps in your in your in your business that you can, if you can fill, it takes us to the next level. So start talking about that. So you mentioned to us um, that you are going at it about like a twenty percent, thirty percent growth every year. Let's start there though, because that's not that's not a bad place to be, right? Or maybe over a long period of time, you feel like you're not growing. But what got you to at least get to that clip of 20, 30% growth? What was happening? What were you doing to, to maintain that kind of growth? I am incredibly aggressive with search engine optimization. I have been, it was one of the things I really worked on when I was at the Oprah Winfrey Network. And it has been a passion of mine, like a dorky, geeky passion of mine for my, as long, as long as the whole concept existed. I was just obsessed with how to make algorithms decide to feature us over other people. And so the initial 
like really, and still it is one of our biggest drivers of businesses, search engine uh, referrals. So really blogging regularly, being really diligent about, we have a weekly newsletter. A lot of people think, oh, weekly, I don't want to spam people. It's not spam if your content's so interesting that people actually read your emails. And that's, um, I think, something that people forget is that if you're being interesting, you're making content. You're not advertising. And that's uh, that's something that we've really been very, very delighted to do in blogs and email newsletters is just really keep a uh, real transparent. We call ourselves the most democratic soap company because we solicit regularly feedback from our customers and we let them know what's going on. Like I, our newsletter this week is going to talk about how our website slipped schedule because we could not ensure that it was going to look right when we launched it. And my rule for us as a business is no artificial deadlines. I don't want to make a deadline just for the sake of having a deadline because we don't have people we're trying to impress. Um, And so uh, being transparent about our business decisions in terms of not making artificial deadlines and why our loyalty program is a week behind schedule and stuff like that, I think helps us really build a relationship and helps us have a really cool um, interaction with our customers. You know, we make a deeper relationship with them because we're so honest about our shortcomings, um, you know. Yeah, I, I definitely want to talk a little more about, about your your pros of content. So first of all, you mentioned that you're very transparent about your business decisions and you're creating content around these business decisions, like business failings. Mm-hmm. And these aren't topics about soap. Like they're not, you're not talking about your 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 products at all, right? In these in these in this kind of content pieces, right? Many times we are. We are uh, like, for example, we had a uh, shaving soap that we were so excited to launch. We were going to launch it right before Father's Day, like Indiana Jones sliding in under a closing, you know, stone door, and it came off of the racks. Soap requires 30 days to cure, and it came off the racks and it just didn't smell as strong as we know our customers expect it to. So I had to write a blog post that was very, you know, I I hope it had the appropriate uh, regret sound to it, but it just was like, look, I'm so sorry. We have been so excited to launch this shaving soap and we know you've been really excited to get it. And also it doesn't meet our quality criteria. So we're sorry, but we can't sell it to you. And that that's an example of a product-oriented uh, blog post that is really about our struggle as a small business. And, you know, that's something people were like, well, why don't you just sell it anyway? And I was like, I just don't know if I can. Like, people are buying our stuff above other people's stuff because of the scents. And if it doesn't smell the way we expect it to smell, then I don't want to release something that doesn't meet our standards, our very high standards. And, you know, there's there's launch paralysis and then there's making sure that you meet your customers needs for quality. And I think that it's it's a very fine line. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I think um, in that situation, there are companies out there that will either just release the product anyway or find some way to hide the failing. But you yeah. are obviously very transparent about it. Can it hurt though? Can, can you, do you ever think of a situation where transparency can hurt or do you always, always recommend leaning heavily on the side of transparency over anything else? You know, I think that there's a very important distinction between sharing personal failings and questions and hesitations and going into the whole woe is me situation. Um, There's some business owners, I see small business, especially small business owners, they think it's all about them and their struggle. And it really isn't. It's all about the customer and it's all about the customer's experience of your business. So for example, people were looking forward to that shaving soap. So this wasn't about our failing. This is about our customers not being able to get that and our efforts to make a higher quality product for them to meet their needs. It's it's really all about them. Just like the website launch, this isn't about us not having a website. This is about our customers and meeting our customers' needs. So it really is all about them and not us, even though on some level, it does seem like it's about us and our business. Um, that's something I see some uh, small business owners forgetting is that the most important thing is really to address what the customer cares about. And and that's that's really all they care to read about is what what they care about. Does that make mm. sense? Yeah, it does. I think like you're basically saying like the transparent you can't just be transparent for the sake of transparency if the content right. is not actually useful or valuable to the most important people which are which are your customers i think that that exactly. makes sense now i think uh, it sounds like you're creating a lot of content how much are we talking about like what how much content were you producing at the time how much are you producing these days for for the website well i ran a little experiment i'm a big fan of data driven uh decisions and experiments and last year in uh in at the end of July, I decided to, I hadn't blogged in a while and I decided to start blogging a couple times a week at least. And hopefully every day, but at least a couple times a week. And I watch our Google search console and our search console numbers climbed steadily from that. Uh, July 31st was the date I can point it out and anybody could look at it on a graph and say, oh, wow, something changed that day. And the thing that changed was that I started blogging several times a week. So that's really, I just look at the data and I see what's causing a measurable difference in, in whether people are finding our site through search, whether people are finding our site through marketing referrals, which I'll talk a little bit about in a minute about the Facebook ads thing, because that was really an interesting revelation. But it's all data-driven decisions and what what blog posts are people responding to. Mm-hmm. So the, this approach of SEO and then content marketing, like you're saying, like writing these blog posts, the results take a, a while, though, especially if you're if you're, yeah. you're new, right? It takes a while to show up. And I think if you are um, not, not necessarily just impatient, but if you are just uh, nervous, right, about whether you're <laughs> succeeding, whether you're going down the right path or not, I can see someone taking a few steps down this path and all of a sudden changing paths, changing paths over and over again because they don't have enough, they haven't given enough time to see your work. 
how what I guess how do you address that if you're someone because obviously you have experience here, but how do you address that if you're someone that's new? How should you think about how should you approach SEO and content marketing differently so that you have the right perspective when you are looking for results? The most important thing that Google is looking for is a relevant site. And the site relevance is determined in a large part to how often the site is updated. And so when your blog post updates your homepage, Google says, oh, I should really index this site a lot more often. And as a result, your site goes up in rankings, not just for that one particular thing, but overall authority. And as your pages interlink, and that there's like, you know, keywords that are linked to other sections of your site, um, pardon me, um, that other keywords are linked to other sections of your site, Google creates a story about your website that's bigger than just that one page or that one blog post. And that story about your website comes with authority and it comes with unseated, you know, an ability to be unseated in the search results. Um, for example, a competitive soap company of to us came out with a soap that was Campfire Soap. We already had dominated the search results for Campfire Soap. And so because we have all these blog posts, you know, going back for six years, about campfire soap and the importance of why we created campfire soap and linking to the consistent page for campfire soap. It's very difficult to unseat us in that first position, even though they're a bigger company with more important, uh, you know, more traffic and stuff, because we've just been talking about campfire soap for six years, you know? <laughs> and so, so the consistency over that amount of time allows Google or Bing or any of the search engines really, but let's just be honest, we're talking about Google, to, to, to build a story. And so in that way, when you think about like, will this cause immediate effects? No, because the reason is because of how search engines build that story. And so you think about it in terms of writing a book, not an article. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. That makes sense. And I think it's, it's something that I've spoken about recently too, which is around the importance of having a back catalog because that's the only way people be, can become super fans and, and immersed into into your authority. If you they, even if you have an article that's ranking at the very top and they come to your page, you have only one article, that's not enough for someone to be like, I trust this person because there's no other content, right? They don't have enough content for them to consume on similar topics, other topics, enough for them yeah. to, because if they get exposure to your, you for the first time, that's the time where they're probably going to be most interested in finding out more about what you're, what you're about. And if you don't have, you don't give them the opportunity to do that by producing more content, by producing back catalogs, by linking to other content pieces that you have, they don't have the opportunity to become immersed into your kind of a world of authority. So I think that, you know, what you're, what you're saying obviously makes a lot of sense from, from search engine perspective, but then when an actual user comes to your site, actual potential customer, you want that authority too by having a lot of content. So yeah, I think and that, that's that, actually in a, in a recent customer survey. So we're very customer focused as I'm sure you've picked up on in a recent customer survey, we asked people why they decided to buy outlaw soaps, why they felt like we were the company for them. And the first two were about our scents and how our scents are really high quality and unique. And then also they can't find us anywhere else. The third reason, which I found was very interesting, was because they liked us as a company. 
And that is a direct result of how much I write about our company in our blog. And that's like, it was really cool to hear that they felt that we were a good company because of all the things that they've read about us, you know, and that's just, that's exactly what you're talking about is that back content catalog of, you know, substantiating evidence that we're a solid company that they can trust is something you cannot build overnight and it can't be done in a matter of days or weeks. It has to be done over years. Makes sense. Yeah. So so let's say people out there listening there, they're bought into this idea. They're ready to write a lot of content. The next thing they might be thinking about is like, I don't know what to talk about. I don't know what to write about. I don't have any ideas. What's your process to come up with ideas to create content for? Well, it's pretty, uh, so I've gone to a bunch of classes and seminars and watched a bunch of videos and stuff like that. There's a ton of videos out there about how to do stuff, but I really go to Google trends and I think about, okay, what do I want my most popular product to be? Like, for example, solid cologne is something that right now I'm trying to really optimize for So I've been doing, you know, going to Google Trends, seeing what people search for. Do they search for dry cologne? Do they search for solid cologne? Do they search for uh, travel cologne? Um, And creating, uh, you know, and then also going to Google, typing in solid cologne and seeing what else comes up uh, in the recommended search. For example, I typed in solid colognes and or solid cologne. One of the things that came up was solid cologne reviews. So I wrote a blog post called Best Solid Cologne Reviews, where I highlighted my favorite of our uh, customer reviews. And that is a super easy thing to do because you don't even have to write that content. All you have to do is let the customer speak for you. And that's really, that's super great because it kills two birds with one stone. You're, you know, highlighting stuff and you're getting great search engine optimization. And then also, if you do a search, for example, for solid cologne, and you go to the very bottom of the page, you can see other recommended search terms. And the best thing to do is just grab those and create blog posts around them. I always have a running draft of a bunch of drafts in my blog uh, on Shopify with ideas, with other search terms that I've come up with that maybe could be a good you know, direction to go. For example, I just posted one called uh, solid cologne versus liquid cologne, because I saw that at the bottom of that, those search results. And I thought, okay, I can write a blog post about that. And so I wrote a blog post about the difference between the two, what the benefits are, what the drawbacks are. And somebody posted a comment that said, this is the best post I've read in a long time. And that was a really great thing to hear. Also, I totally was not inspired to write that post. Um, it was entirely inspired by just Google. Mm. So okay, yeah. So so again, another theme of yours is taking this kind of very data driven approach to deciding what kind of content to create. So I think other people can do the same thing where they can come up with these ideas. I think the next potential challenge is now about publishing, right? There again, I think there's probably lots of people out there listening that might have tens of drafts of blogs that have never been yeah. published. They can't get to the point where they feel like they can quote unquote finish it and hit the publish button. So what do do you have that challenge today? Like, Or in the past, how do you overcome this fear of finishing a blog post? Well, I am, I'm actually a writer. So I come to this with a bit of additional skill. Yeah. Um, 
one of the things that I really have, one of the reasons that I was very confident in starting this business is because I knew I could write my way through practically anything. And if there's one skill that I have, it's being able to be a very strong writer. Um, so I know I, I used to be the editor of my school newspaper. I've written tons of posts and articles for GoDaddy. And, you know, I just I love writing. And so there is one thing that that I don't know if you can really learn it. If you don't like writing, you could perhaps hire somebody to do it for you. There's a ton of people out there on Upwork who will write content for you. But really, just just kick it out there. Make sure that your spelling is right. I heard uh, Grammarly is a great application that that helps people get their grammar to publishable quality. But just get it out there. Sometimes the shortest blog posts, I mean, it doesn't really, if you're doing it for search engine optimization, the blog post does not have to be very long. It just has to have a title. And <laughs> And some words that substantiate the fact that that is not just a spam post. Um, so even if you have like, you know, shaving soap uh, as your title, shaving soap is coming soon. I promise. Here's a photo of it. Uh, thanks for your support. That could be a blog post. It doesn't have to be very, very long. It just has to be content. And it just has to update your homepage and it just has to update your blog page and and sometimes short is totally fine. It doesn't have to be very long. Mm -hmm. Makes sense. Okay. So is this, is this still your pro today, this kind of um, aggressive content creation for purposes of um, SEO? Or is there a new path for you guys to focus on to, to grow the business? Yeah, I think so. The biggest revelation for this year, which resulted in a 600% growth, which is why I wrote you in the first place, is because of Facebook ads. And I shifted my thinking around Facebook ads and advertising in general and cost per acquisition in general. I got a, an app on Shopify called Better Reports. And through Better Reports, I was able to pull our lifetime customer value. And I realized that our lifetime customer value was much higher than I thought it was. It was actually around $70. And I had been looking at the Facebook advertising that we'd done in the past, and I'd been seeing a cost per acquisition of $12.50 on sometimes an $8 bar of soap. And it doesn't take a mathematician to go, that doesn't work out. Um, and so I had thought this wasn't working. But then when I looked at Better Reports and our lifetime customer value, I realized that if I was you know, even if I was losing money on one sale, if I was making $70 on average from every new customer I got, that Facebook was printing money for me. Like it was a broken coin star machine. And all I had to do was, was push bulldozers of money into it. And as long as I got a pretty huge return on investment, our margins could cover that initial loss um, for the most part. And then the lifetime customer value of our of our incredibly strong repeat customer rate would sustain us. And that has been absolutely a total game changer for us, um, has been really the thing that I think if I could say one thing to to your Shopify masters listeners, it is think of the bigger picture. Don't get bogged down in the minutiae and in the small individual sales, look at the sales over the longer period of time. 
and really think about that customer in terms of a relationship that you're creating. And again, thinking back to those customers who said in those early days, wow, I, I now that I've found you, now that I've found you, I didn't know that you existed. And thinking about how we can get that uh, lifetime customer value to work for us and to build those relationships, even if it means an initial loss on that first sale. Right. So your your Facebook ads were 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 always working. So you didn't know that they were working because um I think I think it's a very common fear, right? Where you are not making a profit, not making money on on day one, right? On day one of getting that, putting the ad up, someone coming to your site is costing you more money on day one to acquire them than you are are making money on, on the on uh, on their purchase. Now you're basically saying that it's 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 much greater than that seventy dollars over their their lifetime. But what's happening that they are coming back in and just repeat purchasing from you just because is it just because of the product itself, or are there ways that you set up systems to encourage repeat buyers? Yeah, I mean, I stand by our product. Our product is, as far as I'm concerned, of course, the greatest on the market. Otherwise, I wouldn't be doing it. So I do know that our our product is so unique that if people want it, they can go nowhere else for it. Basically, we're the only place. Outlaw Soaps is the only company that makes products like we have. So we found a very powerful niche and it's one that there just isn't a lot of competition in it. So, you know, if you want handmade soap that smells like campfire, uh, that is like we make, you can't get it anywhere else. Um, So there's that. And that actually does drive a lot of repeat purchases. But the other thing is building that relationship, having a strong newsletter, creating that blog that has all that extra information. And then recently, um, as a result of a bunch of people, you know, like like I said, you just have to listen to people and they'll tell you. A lot of people said that they wish they knew more about our company and about what happens when they order a product. And so I got uh, and I thought at the time that it was probably the worst thing ever. And now in retrospect, I think, oh my gosh, that may have been the best thing ever. When MailChimp and Shopify had their great divorce, um, which I know affected a lot of people, we went to Clavio, Clavio, and Clavio has a lot of robust email marketing flows and conditional marketing and everything. And so we started using this welcome email sequence and this welcome email sequence, you know, right away starts, Hey, thanks. Your first, you know, this is your first order. We're so glad to have you in the gang, et cetera, et cetera. And then the second one talks about uh, why we started the company. And then the third one talks about the inspiration for our sense. And the fourth one talks about the people who work here and the people who make the products and how they all make above average wages for the area. And we really think it's important to ethically treat employees, you know, so that people are happy and so that the products have happiness infused into them wherever they go. And I know that that's kind of an unconventional uh, method of communication with a bunch of customers, but it's something we feel very strongly about. And, you know, then we say, hopefully your product has been delivered, but in case it hasn't, here's a little bit more about our fulfillment process and stuff like that. So that when people get you know, when people place their first order, they immediately start learning more about our company. And we've received so much feedback about that email sequence that 
that initial email sequence about how that's really helps people uh, get a better understanding of us as a company. And, you know, then other things like, for example, we started offering a a solid cologne sample set because one of the common customer requests was, I wish you had samples. I would be more willing to spend $25 on a tin of solid cologne if I could try it first. So we offer a sample set and we don't make a ton of money on that sample set, but 15 days after they get their order uh, received, they get an email that says, hey, want to place an order for a full size one? You know, and and so we're able to to kind of, you know, build on those initial purchases using this email flow. So they don't go into a black hole. They become part of our gang. And that's one of the things we really do well, I think. Right. So you're basically by building a relationship with the customer is what turns them into a repeat buyer for, for you. Yeah. Okay. Totally. Hey. Real quick, if you're enjoying the show, please leave us a review on iTunes. Let us know what you think or what you'd like to hear more of. Now, let's get back to the interview. You mentioned a couple of times so far about how you are, you're not coming with these ideas in your own head. You're just trying to be a good detective and listening for what your customers are telling you. What's the, I would say, you know, there's probably some advice that's better than others from from a customer. Like how do you filter what kind of advice to take versus what what might be, you know, not discarded necessarily, but at least deprioritized? Well, one of the things that we really want to do is make stuff that's not like anything else out there. So if there's something that people are requesting that is like other things out there, we direct them to the other thing. We don't say, oh, no, that's not for us. We say, you might be interested in this. You know, and in that way, we're actually acting as a friend. When what I we just recently hired a customer satisfaction manager, and one of the things I told him was, we want to be like their friend. As soon as they interact with us, we're their good friend. And so, if we have, you know, if they need something we don't have, we will send them to a resource to get it. And uh, so, so yeah, we do get a lot of advice that is, you know, I wish you would make a menthol soap. And we say, oh, that that's interesting. That already exists. Here's a link to that. And, you know, that kind of thinking about how can we help out other small businesses, not only that, but how can we actually help people find what they're looking for and get, you know, have a full life. What we really want to do is support them in having a full life. And so, yeah, there's there's ideas that people come up with that are, I don't know, we've had to, some of our scents include gunpowder, and there's some people who are like, oh, yeah, you should market. I don't know, Felix, if this is too, if if we should exclude this from the podcast, but, but we do get a lot of recommendations on partnering with uh, political organizations and stuff, and that doesn't feel right to us. We are a very diverse group of people and we have a lot of diverse political opinions. And so we as a company have made the decision that we're not going to take any stand on politics, that we're not going to take any stand on um on on any of the political issues that are going on right now because of how diverse our customer base is and our employee base is. So we, you know, we feel like, well, we make soap. We make soap and we make personal care products and neither of these things are political. <laughs> So, yeah, we we'll definitely want to keep that in the pocket because I think it's important for yeah. people to to 
uh, understand that marketing shouldn't just be at the expense of nothing, right? There are costs to how far you're willing to go with your marketing. So, I, which is you know perfectly fine for people to kind of balance on the kind of weigh and balance themselves. But like basically, what you're getting at is that there there's certain values that you have, certain uh, certain you know, principles that you might have, or certain beliefs that you might have, and that you might be able to. Who knows? Maybe you are able to generate more revenue by going down a certain path. But if that's not in line with the the mission of your your company or your beliefs, then it doesn't make sense to do. Um, so exactly. To, we strive. I just I just want to as one additional note on that. We strive to be incredibly inclusive. We want to use you know inclusive language and inclusive pr- practices wherever possible, not just as a business decision, but because that's who we are as a company and as individuals. And so whenever anybody asks us to make any kind of exclusive language, um, we try and use gender neutral language whenever we can, because we believe that even though some people consider our products male focused, I use them and I'm not a guy. So I think that using inclusive language is very important to us as a company, no matter what kind of pressure people uh, and our customers put put on us as a company. It's just, you know, these are there's lines in the sand that we have to draw. So. Got it. So okay, let's talk about uh, this, the Facebook ad strategy then. So you mentioned that 600% growth and that was just because, again, it was already working. You just had to give it more time for the results, the the rewards to to be to uh, play out. So what was the strategy to begin with? How do you set up your Facebook ads today to to maybe not, not make your money on the front end, but then clearly make your money back and much more on the back end? Well, there were two things that shifted in the new year. One of them was that I decided to look at our lifetime customer value, as I mentioned. And then the other one is that is really just a stroke of good fortune. Um, We are the luckiest company ever, I think. Um, But somebody sent us some really, her name is Erica. She sent us some incredible photos, product photos that she had taken with her friend. And she just kind of gave them to us. And I thought, oh, these are cool. I'm going to put these in an ad. And oh my gosh, that ad like took off. It was amazing. And I just started playing with the the text of the ad. And we still run those ads to, to this day with that same image. The image, it changed how I saw our company. It was so good. It was so evocative. It was so... Um, kind of ethereal, but also sexy and practical. It was so amazing. It's just a picture of a guy with our cologne and his chin. Like it isn't anything. I mean, it's not, it's not like rocket science. It was just a really dang good photo. (laughs) And, and that shifted our business to the extent that I actually gave her equity in the company because she changed how much I thought about things. Um, And it was that it was the seeing how the lifetime customer value could affect uh, my version of cost per acquisition and looking at it as a drop in a longer relationship. And then also this amazing photo that then of course I invested in more, in more photography. And that has, like I say, we get better at getting better, not just we learn one lesson and then we go, oh, that lesson works. And then, you know, we hand it off. Um, so today, how our strategy has changed 
since January is that I actually hired an agency because once I realized the lifetime customer value was so powerful, I decided this is too important for me to be screwing around with um, as a, this is not where I want my time to be spent. I want to spend my time thinking about bigger business strategy, whether our inventory is maintaining enough, you know, whether we're maintaining enough inventory to meet the demand that is being caused by this advertising. And I just handed it off. I handed off, like not entirely because I love working on the words because of the writer thing, but I just send a Dropbox of pictures to an agency that I'm working with, Sarah Best Strategy. Um, And she does, she does all the rest. She does all the rest. So that's really what we changed was good photos and working with an agency. Yeah, so let's talk about the photos because it sounds like you tried to reverse engineer, like figure out why did this one work so well. What are the guidelines? What have you found? What have you discovered that others can take away from this if they are struggling with the images that they have for their their Facebook ads? I'm so shy, so I really hate taking photos and including photos of other people. And so, um, so the the real groundbreaking thing was that this included a picture of a person. And that sounds so obvious and so basic in retrospect, but at the time it was absolutely like inventing, it was like inventing the wheel. Um, I couldn't even believe a human in a photo. What? You know, and <laughs> and I look back on it and I'm like, oh gosh, how stupid can I be? But at the same time, that was that was a real groundbreaking thing, is that people like seeing pictures of people using the products and that has consistently performed. So whenever I have the opportunity to hire a professional photographer who works with a model, I take that opportunity. And even stock photos, I was like, maybe it doesn't even matter if we have the product in the photo. Let's test that. And so I downloaded some stock photos. The stock photos consistently performed at least as well as the other photos. So we just started using stock photos. Those are so much easier and cheaper than hiring a professional photographer. So why not? And it's these kind of massive tests. The agency that I work with, she makes hundreds of copies of our ads for every single ad cycle. So that's two weeks. She does our ads every two weeks. And there's like a hundred variations that she tests in terms of audience, in terms of photo, in terms of text. And she's just always testing stuff. And it's so nice to not have to have the bandwidth of testing these things. But yeah, it's people. If you include people in the photos, those do much better. Yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. Outlawsoaps.com, O-U-T-L-A-W-S-O-A-P-S.com is the website. And I'll leave you this last question. What do you think will be your biggest challenge uh, this year? Ah, easy. That's an easy, easy question. Scale. How do we create enough products to meet the demands? And that's what I'm trying to figure out. So so I hope to hear that in a future episode. <laughs> yeah, well, once you figure it out, we'll definitely have you back on. Thank you so All much right. for coming on, Daniel, and sharing your experience. Thanks, Felix. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Shopify Masters, the e-commerce podcast for ambitious entrepreneurs powered by Shopify. Shopify.